So the uh, 15th chapter of John, uh, I, you know, just about all of us have heard of sermons. If we've sat in any, any kind of church service at all, we've heard, I am the vine, you are the branches. And uh, I, I just want to go over that a little bit and just to, you know, I looked at my notes here and I, and I thought, you know, uh, Mike just, it wasn't too long ago Mike preached about this. I got my notes here and stuff, you know. But uh, so anyway, <clears throat> when Jesus said this, you know, to order to understand these, uh, these verses in chapter 15, if you go back to like even chapter 6, 7, and 8 and kind of get a running start, and when you hit chapter 8, you get a fuller meaning of it and just go past it in the, you know, chapters, uh, you know, 16 and 17, and you'll get a fuller meaning of what he's trying to say. You know, and when he starts out, he says, uh, I am the vine dresser. And really what that means is, I am the nurseryman, or I am the tiller of the soil, or almost describes himself as a farmer. And he said, uh, so he's declaring himself. Now we know all through the uh, scriptures before that, he's saying all kinds of things. You know, he's saying, uh, you know, in, in uh, you know, in chapter six, you know, he he says he's declaring who he is. I'm the bread of life, and uh, you know, I'm just going to back here a little bit. In verse two, he says, "Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit." He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now, when I used to read chapter 15 of John, I, I felt, I kind of went down as I, ran, as I read it because I felt that it was something that I really had to do. It was really a challenge, and I could see myself not doing it. So it wasn't one of those verses that I'm going to go back and read over and over again. But as you get the full meaning of it and you get the right connection of words here, uh, it's really a blessing. Verse 2, it says, that word in there that says takes away, actually, uh, in the Greek, means lift up or pulls up. And if we see the connection with him being the vine dresser, and now we're talking about grape vines. Uh, if you know anything about grapes or any vine, uh, most vines will drop down, and when they drop down, they don't produce fruit. They hit the ground. Some of you might be familiar with Engelman ivy or woodbine or something like that. They're in most of our groves, and it loves to do that. In fact, we had one we cut out here just this last spring that had roots like that and then roots like this, and roots like that. Because it would lay down. It didn't have a support or a fence, and so it would lay down, and when it hits the ground, it's not producing fruit. It's trying to get more roots. It's trying to go down. So it's not producing. So this is what he's talking about. So instead of Gus getting the idea that he is casting us away, or that he is, uh, if it doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away, what he's doing as a husbandman or as a nurseryman, he's lifting it up, 
tying it back to the fence so now it can grow out and produce fruit. That's encouraging, amen? Instead of being, I'm getting you out of here. And pruning. You know, pruning is, is such a, uh, it, it, reading this in the correct context, you know, pruning is training, discipling, nurturing, bringing together, drawing him, our, his Holy Spirit working in us. His Holy Spirit is working in us to just simply put more of himself in us and get rid of our flesh. That's all he's doing. And, you know, this is, for some of us, this has been a process, you know. Uh, so this is what he's doing. We're talking about in, here in verse 2. In verse 3, verse 3 he's saying, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Amazing statement. What is he saying here? How can he be clean? He hasn't been to the cross yet or anything like that. He hasn't shed his blood. But what he's saying, and this is what I was going to say earlier. I got ahead of myself. In chapter 6, he says, Believe in my works. He calls himself the bread of life. He says, This is the will of my Father. Everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me. What he's talking about there. Remember he told the Jews that? And the Jews said, oh, What's he talking about? Cannibalism here. No, he's talking about the covenant meal. He's talking about communion. A covenant, a bonding together. I'm making this covenant with you. In chapter 7, he says, If he believes, let him drink living water. He's calling himself living water. And he says, you'll never thirst again. In chapter uh, 8, he says, I am the light of the world. You'll never walk in darkness. See, he's presenting himself all through uh, the Gospel of John. We see that. I am the light of the world. You'll never walk in darkness. Abide in my word. The truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. This is what we try to do, you know, on when, when, our, uh, when we're playing and, and praying with people. We want to get light in them. Just get light of the word and light of the gospel, light of Jesus, light of the Holy Spirit. That's what sets us free. The truth sets us free. Knowing the truth sets us free. The truth is out there. The truth is all over, but you have to know the truth. The truth has to be in you. Chapter uh, uh, 10, uh, <clears throat> he calls himself the good shepherd. He says, I give eternal life to them. No one snatches them out of my hand. You talk about security. Nobody's going to snatch you out of his hand. Nobody. I like that. Boy, talk about I got your back. You know, and that starts out verily, verily, or truly, truly. You know, what that word is, trans, uh, translated, it's amen, amen. And I never knew this before, but <clears throat> um, amen is the same in Greek, in Hebrew, in Latin, in English. It's the, probably the only word in the world that is the same word in all those languages. Amen. In other words, that is true. Someone says something, amen, I believe that. You know, well, that's true. That's true. It's true. Barely, barely. Truly, truly, I say to you. Chapter 11, it says, I am the, this gets good. I am the resurrection and the life. Me, Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. When uh, Lynette's uh, and Linda's 
dad was passing away. He passed away a year ago. And uh, when he was in hospice care, we'd go in and the girls spent a lot of time with him and we'd go in and pray with him. And that was always a prayer that the Holy Spirit just brought up out of me. He said, Grandpa, Ray, you're never going to die. Your flesh is going to die. You're not going to die. You'll never die. He's got a hold of your hand. You know, I could just see in his eye, he loved that verse. It just, he loved that. It just lit him up. Good old Luther. You know, them old Lutherans there. <laughs> so anyway, verse, going to verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You have to understand that there, this crowd he was talking to, there was a lot of unbelievers there. And I think he hoped that they would put this together and said, if I don't abide in him, then I'm not going to bear any fruit, and I'm not, I'm not even going to be saved if I don't abide in him. You know, we can get a great, instead of a challenge out of that, Verse 5, I'll read that also. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can, in, can do nothing. Remind you, saying the same thing. Ramez. Remember when Pastor Ken Lundin taught us Ramez? When you repeat, and you repeat, and you repeat, hopefully we're going to get it. But he's saying here that unless we're in the vine, unless we as branches are in the vine, We're not going to produce the fruit that's already in the vine. And we can get great rest out of this because he's taking the responsibility on himself. He's the one that has to do the growing. He's the one that has to producing. And we as a branch just have to stand there and let him grow through us. Isn't that great? I mean, he's going to use it. He's saying, come on, let's do this together. You know, and and again, imagine the crowd. You say, "Uh, you know what? Let's get this thing done. Let's bear this fruit. But you have to be in me. If you're going to do this on your own, it ain't going to work. It's just that simple. And again, we have to remember there was a lot of unbelievers. Like, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? He's the resurrection. He's living water. He's a shepherd. He's an open door. He's, he's light to the world. Who does this guy think he is? So with that kind of a setting, you can see how he has to repeat himself. And he has to, to, to go over this. In verse 6 it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, they gather him and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Let me tell you something. uh, That Jesus does not burn his children. You know, if we we take that and say, Well, you know, I'm just not... uh, you know, I'm just not doing enough. I just know I'm not tithing enough. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not praying enough. I, I'm not uh, witnessing enough. Uh, <clears throat> all these things. I, I, I know I ain't going to cut it. So th- this, I, I got to be a branch that's thrown away. Easy to think that way. But if we look at it as the encouragement that he is saying that there is no life without him. This is an unbeliever. This is one who rejected Jesus, who he's talking about. This is one that does not believe in him, that has not accepted him as the Savior of the world. 
those are the ones that are going to be thrown away and dried up. His, his fair justice is all he can do. But if you read this and get a conviction over it, like, I'm not doing enough, you know, you know some of you got a half a dozen kids or better. And more kids. You got your hands full. I mean, you know, some, some of us just get dogged down. Uh, not pray for weeks, maybe. I, I don't, you know, we, we just get battered up in this world. He's not leaving us, forsaken us. He's inside of us. He's encouraging us. That's why he says, you know, you can't do nothing without me. So what would be the smart thing to do? Go back to him. Go back to the, go back to the vine and say, I'm going to get, get my krypton back. <laughs> I'm going to get rejuvenated. I'm going to let the life of Christ grow through me. If we can look at us, the life of God being pushed through us, we're just the conduit. We are just the branch. There's a lot of Pharisees around there. There's a lot of self-righteous people because they held the law together. They thought, if I do this law thing, this guy ain't touching me. This Jesus guy, he's not touching me. I've already got my righteousness in the law. And he tells them all through this, listen, I'm the life, I'm, I'm the resurrection. They wouldn't, wouldn't believe it. That's who he's talking about when he's talking about branches thrown away. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done. Oh, well, hallelujah. If I become a Christian, <clears throat> everything will be done. It's the way I want it. Let, let's, let's just be reminded of something here. Um, our desires change. Our desires change. God doesn't change to accommodate us. We change to accommodate him. And he has perfect will over us. If we could ever get it in our heads, you know, like in uh, Romans 12, uh, 2, where it says, renew your mind with the word of God so you can do his perfect and, you know, will. If we could ever make this connection that his will for us is absolutely the best thing for us ever, totally, 100%. If we could just download that, this wouldn't be a problem at all. So then when you pray, you just pray what he wants because I want what he wants because he's living in me. In Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13, it says, work out your salvation uh, with fear and trem- with fear and trembling, uh, for it is God who is at work in you. Now, you know, when he says work out, that means complete. Work out is can make us think like, okay, I got to get really, really get on this thing here and work hard here. I got to really strive to get this eternal life. No, you work out what's already in you. When you profess and confess that Jesus is your Lord, you've already got the Holy Spirit in you, and he wants you to work out what's already in you. Complete what's in you. I said you're clean. I said you're holy because you believed in me. You've put yourself in me, in Christ. Now work that out. Live that out. You believe it. You live it out. And work it out with fear and trembling. Now, that isn't, 
I wonder if I'm saved. You know, that isn't nail-biting. That's taking the awe, the aura of God, the goodness of God, and, and the, the, the majesty of God. See, fear is, is a word that we use. We, we connect fear to a lot of things, you know, everything from the boogeyman to fear that uh, the Vikings aren't going to make it to playoffs next year or something, you know. That's real fear. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's an aura of... You're getting it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Or I fear the Packers will get back. <clears throat> but that fear and trembling is, I, I want to, don't you want to just have him in such awe uh, that, that it, would, it, it would translate the, the good fear, the righteous fear. <clears throat> In verse 8, it says, By this my father, uh, uh, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, we got another word in there that can derail us and take us off course again. It says, prove. It says, by this, by your abiding, and you're going to be bearing fruit, now you're going to prove to be my disciples. That word prove actually means becoming, is taking place, arising, growing, or caused to be. You know, we need to be patient with our fruit bearing. It's not an overnight thing. Just be patient with yourself. You know, we're not going to be, you know, change nations overnight. We're not going to change our next neighbor. We're not going to change even family members. So we need to be patient with our, you know, with our fruit growing. But like he's saying, this glorifies my Heavenly Father, that you bear this fruit in your becoming to be my disciple, in your process of being my disciple. Because if you lay this down and say, okay, I'm a disciple of his, I'm a follower of Jesus, if I do all this fruit bearing, you're in Christ because the blood has been shed for you and you have professed him as your Lord and Savior. After that, the enemy wants you. He's after you. You know, you get diffused by all kinds of things. But stand on the surety of the cross in the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 9. And just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Do we really know how much the Father loved him? I mean, just the passing knowledge of the Bible will tell us how much he loved him. And that's how much we're loved. Same thing. It's not he holds Jesus, he loves him way higher. He loves us the same. That's the only way that God loves, really. He's just, he is love. Let's go to 1 John 4. If you want to put that up. 1 John uh, chapter 4, we're going to read uh, 10 through 16. Talking about the love of the Father. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the fullness or the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, Paul writing here, or John writing here, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to all love one another. 
No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. So if any time that you read this and you say, I'm not abiding, here's your verses right here. Go back to 13. By this we know that we are abiding in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. How did we get his spirit? By believing. 14, and we have beheld and our witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, you can hang on to this one. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You're already an abider. You're already in him. You're already there. 16 says, and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Well, that's solid. That is solid. You know, Mike has, uh, in the, you know, probably in the past, you know, I'd say maybe a year or so, or maybe longer, has always felt impressed to give altar calls. Because this is so important that you can understand that taking uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a matter of the heart. And he likes to lead people into that with scriptures like this so that you can confess and you can believe with your heart that he is your Savior. We have... uh, Uh, Some of the verses will say, remain. Uh, In some of your translations, instead of abide, it says remain. Uh, Again, bad choice of words. That means like you're you're going, you're coming, or you left, and you're not coming back. But with these verses in John, uh, 1 John, we can tell, we can get more solid evidence of our abiding in him. Some of us going to do great works? Absolutely. Some of you already have. Some of you are thinking about it. Some of you are even thinking, I can't do any great work. Some of you are probably thinking, who, me? You know, but he is. He's right there. He's going to nurture you. He's going to train you. Go back to the pruning thing, lifting you up, encouraging you. Pull the, pull the vine up, put it back, you know, and leave it hanging there where it can grow. That's his desire for you. <clears throat> verse 10 if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love you know this is not a condition of love on his side we can very easily read that and say if you do this if you do that if you do that then I'll love you Uh, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, His great love for us while we were dead in our sin. Same love. Same kind of love is coming out of heaven towards us. Ephesians 5, 8 says, God's love towards us while we were yet sinners. Titus 3. He saved us not on our own goodness, but by him being rich in his mercy and his love. That was him. That was just, he just did that. 
So now we go to him. This is what he's trying to tell us in here. If you go to me, you know, th- this isn't another uh, religious gauntlet that we have to run in order to be loved by God. You know, sometimes as churches, <clears throat> we kind of put this all on the believer's back. You know, if you watch the Billy Graham crusade, just as I am without one plea, you know, and, and you get it in the... Jeremy, what are you laughing at? Uh, you didn't know I could sing, did you? You know I can't. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you get everybody up front, and, okay, then they join your church. You know, they accept you, Jesus loves you, and you join a church, and if you take scriptures like this wrong and say, now we got you in church. Now you better bear fruit. Yeah, and you better pray and you better tithe. You better be good. Seriously, we've done that. That's sad. It just, I, you know, I, I told Annette this and she said, well, uh, I, I listened to a guy for about an hour and a half. He had about, a, about an hour and 44 minutes of what it means to abide in the vine. I was so confused, and, and I read the Bible quite a bit. I was so confused, and this is, a, this is what you'd call a good, pretty good church. You'd say, oh, that's a good church, you know. I mean, it's not a cult or anything like that. Uh, I, I felt, I, I can't do this. There's no way I'd measure up. There's no way. You know, he's been a preacher for 40 years, you know. You know, people that preach law and performance think that they are doing that. Otherwise, they wouldn't preach. Otherwise, they'd be preaching condemnation on themselves. So I told Annette, I said, well, what do you listen to it for? <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's wisdom. Why would I listen to that? To get back into condemnation. What he's trying to tell us here, <clears throat> if you get in my love, stay in my love. Abide in my love. I'm going to push me through you. I'm going I'm to create, you know, I forget what the, the verse is, but let Christ be formed in you. That's what it's all about. If we start thinking that we're separate from Jesus, separate from the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. We're right back to law because we think we have to perform to get in him. And you are in him by grace, by faith. You already put yourself there. If I was the devil, I'd try to talk you out of it any way I can. I always like to say, if you have something, he'll say you don't have it. And if you have it, or if you don't have it, I'm confusing myself here. If you don't have it, he says you got it. And if you got it, he says you don't have it. He'll keep bouncing you around just like that. That's why these verses are important, uh, to knowing his word. <clears throat> uh, you know, the word commandment kind of gets us messed up sometimes. We talked about this in Bible study, I think, last week. You know, what good is a commandment? If you don't do it, it ain't worth anything. You know, uh, you, you know, someone, somebody might preach and say, well, this is a commandment that you love one another. This is a commandment that you've got to do this. What good is it if you don't do it? You ever thought, how do you command someone to love? You know, 
Um, I always think of Roseanne years ago, and, and she was going through know, PMS or something. I don't know. <laughs> and she, she goes over to her husband, you know, and her hair is in, in a mess. And, and uh, you know, and she's going through this. And she says, do you love me? You know, would you die for me? And he's going, yeah, I guess I would, you know. <laughs> but a commandment, I wrote some words down here. A commandment is a highly reasonable concept of action with favorable results. Or a commandment is authoritative prescription that will be to your benefit. I was uh, reading a blog the other day, a uh, Christian website and they had an atheist that popped in there and you know just saying his thoughts and everything and and he, he kind of said and of course it was arrogant he said uh, you know I I can override the will of God you know because this guy was saying that God has all authority and you know and so on and so forth and he said well I can override the will of God and he says I don't have to believe what he says. I don't have to do what he says because I have my will. You know, he's absolutely right. You know, if, if God's will was done in everything in the world, everyone would be saved right now. Every, no one would be hungry. Everybody would have a warm bed to sleep in at night. Everybody would be taken care of. That would be God's will for this world. But that doesn't happen. Because we do have a will. And we do, and we can override that, God's will. And this is why he's telling us and encouraging us inside, in our hearts, abide in me. Abide in me. Live in me. You know, when we get to the place where um, we haven't done so well, we might have just, maybe our families in upheaval, maybe we've got children that are um, disobedient to the point of they left the house, maybe we've, got, maybe we've got loved ones on drugs or all these kind of things. Um, we start looking at ourselves and we say, what did I do wrong? Um, the best thing you can do is Turn right back to your Savior and exalt yourself in him. David did that all the time. David had a, King David had a big job. He had lost his family. They'd taken his army. They'd taken all his possessions. They'd taken everything. And what he did is he rejoiced. He exalted himself in the Lord. He got his inner self clean, right, he had the right attitude back, and you know, everything was restored to him. The best thing we can do is exalt ourselves in our Savior and look to him and say, yes, how encouraging, Lord, that you want me to abide in you, and you keep inviting me in to, invite, to abide in you. I want to close with a prayer in Ephesians. I'm just going to uh, turn there real quick. This is a prayer that I maybe shared before with you. I, I use it a lot uh, um, 
the Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, uh, starting at verse uh, 17. This is a prayer that you can pray uh, for yourself, for your family, for your church. We pray to God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. We pray, Lord, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of your calling to us, Lord, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for just standing in the gap, for being the Savior of the world, for tabernacling yourself in us, for loving us uh, as our Heavenly Father loves you. Lord, thank you for this great gift of reconciliation that you've given the world to those who would believe. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.